Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think I've mentioned a couple of times in this series that I, uh, I, have, I was not raised in a tradition that really said the Lord's Prayer out loud very often in a corporate setting. Some of you were. You might have said it every week in your church services, but for us, we hardly ever said it. We hardly ever did anything that was kind of repetitive because there was a, an aversion to what was considered to be high church worship. Um, but I did notice this when we did say it, and I've noticed it in other churches uh, that have said the Lord's Prayer out loud, and I've even noticed it here in our church when we say the Lord's Prayer out loud. I've noticed it before basketball games with teams that I've coached, that this is how the Lord's Prayer is normally said. Uh, first of all, it, it starts out with, you know, our Father, and there's some who are ready to say it and some who aren't, and so it's kind of half weak. You know, it's like, our Father who art in heaven, and then by, and by hallowed be thy name, everybody's on the same page, so it's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You ever notice that? Everybody doubts, and so it's <clears throat> hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we're in the swing of the prayer. Everybody's going along just fine, right? You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, as we forgive our, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You ever notice that? Yeah, some of y'all started laughing. You got it. Why is that? Why does that happen at this petition? Because we don't know what word it's supposed to be. For some of us, it's what? Oh, you see, y'all can't agree. Y'all don't even know. Is it debt? Is it trespasses? Is it transgressions? Is it sin? We we learned it in different ways depending upon, you know, our, our heritage and the way we were brought up. And so there's this confusion and anxiety, and we all know that. And so when we get to this part of the Lord's Prayer, we all unconsciously or whatever, we just kind of mute our prayer because we don't want to be the one goober who says, you know, trespasses, and everybody else says debt, and then looks around and says, what's wrong with you? You don't know the Lord's Prayer, you, you know, you heathen or whatever, you know? So we kind of all just go silent at that moment in time. And And I don't know about you, but as we're getting to that point, I kind of always feel a little sense of anxiety and concern, which is why whenever we say the Lord's Prayer here corporately, I've insisted that our worship pastor, Paxson, puts the words up on the screen so that we all know what the word's supposed to be. It's for this very wrong reason right here, because I don't want anxiety in my heart when I'm about to say the Lord's Prayer in a corporate worship service. Well, I got news for you. Whatever internal little bit of anxiety or discomfort we might feel as we uh, come to this portion of the Lord's Prayer over which word to use, it will quickly, very quickly be replaced with a much larger concern when we truly understand the meaning and apply what's going on in this petition. Uh, It'll be replaced very quickly with a much greater concern. There's a huge, huge reason why it's said that St. Augustine 
referred to this portion of the Lord's Prayer as the terrible petition. The terrible petition. And so this morning, I want us to study and apply this petition that has to do with forgiveness. And let's start by looking at the first half of the petition, then we'll go to the second half. The first half of the petition, which deals with the forgiveness we need. And forgive us our debts. Right off the bat, we have to ask ourselves a question this morning. Why do we even need to bother asking for the forgiveness of our sins? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, aren't our sins already forgiven? Don't the scriptures teach us this? In the summer, um, we're going to do something special this summer. We're going to have like a summer in the Psalms. And our teaching elders, there's, there's several of us now, there's four of us on staff, and we're going to pick different psalms, and we're going to bring them to you throughout the summer. And unless some of the other guys choose it, maybe I'm kind of staking a claim here this morning, one of the psalms is gonna, that I would do would be Psalm 103. It's one of my favorite psalms. And I love how it talks about us and our frailty as humans and our sinfulness. And verse 12 talks about how God takes our sin and he separates it as far as the east is from the west. What a beautiful passage. Malachi chapter 7, how, he talks, how God talks about taking all of our sins and casting them into the deepest sea, seeing them no more. We've been in the book of Isaiah with our community Bible reading. And just a couple of weeks ago, that fantastic passage in chapter 43, verse 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Or, or how about in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us some of our trespasses. Therefore, you need to continue asking for forgiveness. Is that what it says? No. It says all of our trespasses. So if this is the case, why do we need to ask for forgiveness at all? It's a fair question. Aren't they already under the blood of Christ? How many of you would say yes this morning? Raise your hand. How many of you would say no? Raise your hand. How many of you would just say maybe? Raise your hand. Well, you know, if we're, if we're really looking at it from maybe a corporate perspective, as a church this morning, are our sins under the blood of Jesus Christ already forgiven? Uh, probably the, the, the safest answer is maybe. Maybe. Because some here actually need the forgiveness that these verses that I've read are actually talking about. You see, these verses are talking about the forgiveness that is known as that forgiveness that comes with our justification or our salvation. When we turn to Christ for the first time and, and we confess our need to have our sins forgiven and to, to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Apostle Peter 
And the first sermon that he he delivered after the ascension of Christ in Acts 2, verse 38, I actually read verse 39 in the baptism of those those little babies this morning, when he says, this promise is for you and for your household. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, some people here this morning, you may very well need to have your sins forgiven so that they are separated as far as the east is from the west. If you've never turned to Christ in repentance and faith, your sins still rest upon you. They've never been forgiven. And so this forgiveness where where God declares you justified where your sins have been pardoned and he gives to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ and all of your sins have been thrown behind his back. He sees them no more. They're in the deepest sea. All those wonderful verses, the starting point for you this morning is to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior and to receive him as your Lord, to confess your need for salvation, for forgiveness. And he'll do that for you this morning if you'll repent, if you'll turn from your way of living life and embrace him as king. Now, is that what this Lord's Prayer is advocating? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Is this the the forgiveness that's associated with justification and salvation? Well, if it is, then it's justification by works. There's conditions to the forgiveness here as we forgive our debtors. This is not that type of forgiveness. This is not the forgiveness that's associated with salvation. Let me explain what this is this morning, okay? Um, and, And you understand it, first of all, really kind of obviously when we step back and we just examine what is this prayer. We call this the Lord's Prayer. I wish we could erase that label. You see, the Lord never had to pray for the forgiveness of his sins. He didn't sin, right? The the question from the disciples was, Lord, teach who? Us how to pray. This entire prayer is the model prayer for the followers of Christ. This is the disciples' prayer. This is how followers of Jesus are to pray. It provides us a framework It's not something that is supposed to necessarily be memorized and recited back word for word, you know, and in in 40 seconds you're done and now you move on. You've prayed for the day. It establishes a framework and we pray that petition and unpack it and all of its meaning. And so this is the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer for people who already believe and we need this petition because, hello, reality check, After we confess Christ as Lord and we enter into the family of God, we still sin. The sin nature still resides within us. And when we give in to that sin nature and we disobey God, that disobedience affects the quality and the intimacy of our fellowship and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And in the language of this petition, it's a debt. That is, by the way, the 
underlying Greek word here in Matthew, debt. In Luke, it's sin. It's the same thing. But you get the idea here of what's being communicated. Have you ever had anybody owe you money? Somebody that you know well, you borrow money to them? Uh, many years ago, I had a family member, a dear family member, very close to, um, borrowed money. They were having difficulty with making their electric bill. So I, I loaned them money. I'll, I'll pay you back at such and such time. Uh, such and such time came and they didn't pay. I didn't say anything about it. Later they come and they borrowed some more money. And this happened several times. And before you knew it, that, that initial payment, it, it had grown to be a quite a decent amount of money. And each time, the, I'll pay you at such and such, and that, that target kept moving. After a while, it got to be kind of embarrassing because realized he wasn't going to pay it back. In fact, it came to my attention that really what was going on here is we had an addiction issue. And so that money was going towards uh, alcohol and, and drugs. When we would get together, there was only one way to describe our relationship. Awkward, right? He knew he owed me the money. I knew he owed me the money. Now, I wasn't bringing it up to him, but his own knowledge of his debt to me made him uncomfortable around me. It affected our relationship. Ultimately, for us to get back to, to a good relationship, I had to go to him and I had to bring it up and say, let's just talk about this debt and let's address it. Well, folks, every time we willfully disobey God, we owe God as his children our absolute obedience. Amen? Not conditional, not half-hearted. We owe him our absolute obedience. And every time we disobey him, in the language of the scriptures, this is like a debt that must be addressed. It can't be ignored. We can't pretend that it doesn't exist because this debt has consequences. We read this week in our community Bible reading, those of us who are participating in that plan in Isaiah chapter 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. When we sin, it affects the vitality, the, the fullness of our relationship and fellowship and intimacy with God. In the New Testament, different kinds of language is used than the book of Isaiah. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. The fullness of our joy and our salvation is diminished. We become ensnared in sin, the sin that so easily entangles us and besets us. We open ourselves up to the wiles of the enemy. These are the things that occur and are the consequences of our disobedience. So we need this petition 
We need to come back to God and ask for forgiveness to address this debt so that our relationship, the quality of our relationship to be restored. You see, my family member and I, there was a debt there. We were still family. We didn't stop being family because of that debt. I loved him, he loved me. I would have laid my life down for him and vice versa under the right circumstances. But the quality of our relationship has now been affected. And this is what happens with sin in our lives. When we quench the Holy Spirit, the power for Christian living is jeopardized. The joy of our salvation affects how we experience life and the Christian life, and in turn, has a negative impact as we interact with those who need Christ, the severity of sin. And so the good news is that when we come to God and we confess our debt, our fellowship is immediately restored. The Bible tells us in 1 John verse 1, chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How badly every one of us need this petition. Our sin is a regular occurrence. We didn't lose our sin nature. How great is it? You know, you, you see this, the depth of this need and how this, this petition even starts. And conjunction, actually coordinate conjunction. For those of us who were raised in the 60s and 70s, whenever we heard, hear the word conjunction, our minds immediately go to the cartoons and the song Conjunction Junction, what's your function, okay? But I won't go there right now this morning. But conjunctions are important in the Bible. And this one is important. And forgive us. What's it linking? See, conjunctions link. What's it linking to? It's linking. Anybody in here remember what a conjunction is? What's it linking to? The previous verse. What's the previous verse? Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. See, John Stott, a great pastor of old, has really drawn a great conclusion here of what this means. He says, forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is for the body. Do you want to understand how badly we need forgiveness? The vitality, the health of our soul depends upon it. Our soul cannot thrive without the forgiveness daily, continually of our sins. Internally, spiritually, we will shrivel up. We will die, waste away spiritually without this. It's so important. It, it actually... It actually signifies our maturity, that we're growing in Christ. It, it positions us to better experience God's presence and His power in our lives. Remember when we began this entire series of messages from the Sermon on the Mount last fall, we started with the Beatitudes. And the first Beatitudes are this, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, we, we talked about this then, and I want to remind us now because it has direct bearing. The sign of a mature Christian, a Christian who's growing in their faith, is someone who is meditating in a healthy way on who they are and who they want to be. It's someone who is acknowledging and not flinching from their sin, but they're owning it. Who's acknowledging like the Apostle Paul, there's the good that I want to do, but then there's the things that I actually do. And this gap between the two, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of sin? He says, thanks be to God, there's no condemnation in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a healthy meditation on who we are and where we are in our lives spiritually, it drives us to Jesus every day. It drives us to the cross. It causes us to rely upon the gospel and depend upon the Holy Spirit for the power to live the Christian life. Now, there is an unhealthy way to focus on your sin. You can self-flagellate, and you can, or you can have false humility and look how sinful I am. No, I'm, not talk, I'm talking about a, a healthy acknowledgement of this is where I am, and this is where I'm struggling, and, and here's where I'm, I'm failing. God, help me. Sanctify me. Help me to be more like Christ. What's behind this sin? What's driving this? Lord, show me why I'm returning to this time after time and after time. This process of dealing with our sin and being honest about it with God and with other brothers and sisters in Christ, going and getting professional help when we can't, we can't seem to put our finger on it, this process of dealing with our sin and forgive us our debts, this isn't something to be ashamed of. This is the sign of a mature Christian, someone who's growing in their faith. It's the immature Christian it's the imposter who hides their struggles and their sin. A moment ago, I told you that the conjunction and at the beginning of this petition, that it, uh, it was important because it shows us the need of our forgiveness. That our, that our very soul, the, the health of our soul, the vitality of our soul depends upon us coming regularly, asking for forgiveness. But there is another conjunction in this short petition. It's in the middle of the verse. And it's the reason why Augustine refers to this section of the Lord's Prayer as the terrible petition. And forgive us our debts. This is the forgiveness that we need as we have forgiven our debtors. This is the forgiveness we jeopardize. We, we don't need to miss this. This is the part where when we get it, we begin to realize that our concern over whether it's debt or trespass or transgression or sin, that's really minor. This is what we need to be concerned about. 
Because when we understand what this is saying, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, what that is saying is along these lines, Father, forgive me my debts, forgive my sins, forgive my trespasses against you in the way that I am forgiving that guy who sinned against me so many years ago. You get where I'm going here? Ooh. You see, this petition, it, it has huge significance. If you, if, if, if you have a bitter, unforgiving heart towards others and their sins against you, you are asking God with this petition to respond to you in the same way that you respond to other people in your forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon, this is why Charles Spurgeon, when he was dealing with the Lord's Prayer and preaching through the Lord's Prayer, he said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you read the Lord's Prayer. It's significant. In case you think that that's an overstatement, right? We're not understanding the conjunction correctly in the middle of this verse. And we're missing the point. And we're being too, too stern and severe with this petition. Boy, that doesn't sound very nice this morning. I like warm, fuzzy Jesus better. I want you to look at the next two verses at the end of the Lord's Prayer because Jesus comes back to this petition. This is the only petition he comes back to, and he addresses it again. I, I, want you, I want us to really get it this morning, guys. I want us to feel the weight of this this morning. This is how serious it is. Let's, let's read these two verses in unison aloud. You ready? Here we go. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. Let that sit there for a second. Jesus isn't playing games with this, is he? If you want mercy, he says earlier, then you show mercy. This is big. Do you see the gravity of this petition now? Do you see why Augustine would call this the terrible petition? If you're here this morning and there's bitterness and resentment, perhaps uh, unforgiveness in your heart towards other people, concern should well up at this point. Because it says something quite dramatic when we go to the Heavenly Father and ask for forgiveness of our own sins and how he's responding to us when we hold on 
to our grudges and our bitterness and our resentments to others. Now listen, I'm not talking to the person here this morning who perhaps you were done wrong this week or last month and you're in the process of forgiving. Forgiveness is a process. And, and you're calling out to God, asking for grace to how to handle this, and there's pain, and you're dealing with the pain and the shock of the offense, and, and you're processing through that. I'm not speaking to you this morning, and I'm not speaking to a person who has forgiven somebody, and you've dealt with it, but then, man, something came up this week, and it reminded you of it all over again, and those emotions welled up, and you've had to go back to the cross, and you're praying through it again. That's not what I'm talking about. That's the normal process of forgiveness. I'm talking to those who perhaps have been holding on to something in your heart, and you're not forgiving that person. It can be your spouse. It can be a child. It can be a, a teacher, a a friend, a sibling, it can be someone in this church, someone in another church, a boss, a neighbor, you're holding on to it. John Piper says this about this verse. He says, no one who cherishes a grudge against someone dare approach God in search of mercy. God treats us in accordance with the belief of our heart. If we believe it is good and beautiful to harbor resentments and tabulate wrongs done against us, then God will recognize that our plea for forgiveness is sheer hypocrisy. For we will be asking him to do what we believe to be bad. It is a dreadful thing to try to make God your patsy by asking him to act in a way that you, as your action shows, esteem very lowly. The terrible petition. Listen, this petition is terrible in one respect, but in another way it's gracious. It is highlighting a very important family trait, forgiveness. And it is, a, it is a gracious, gracious warning to us this morning. It holds a mirror up to us this morning, much like the Beatitudes did to those of us who are in this church, because at best, this petition is warning us about an unforgiving spirit, about our grudges and our resentments and how they affect us. Because by not dealing with them, as children of God, by not dealing with those resentments and those grudges, we experience the disciplining, the painful disciplining grace of God rather than the pleasant restorative reconciliation of God that comes with forgiveness. Rather than experiencing that that pleasant forgiveness, we experience instead the natural and painful consequences that come about by not forgiving someone and holding on to resentments. There are natural things that occur. Having a resentment, it's kind of like drinking poison and then praying that God would kill the other person. It doesn't work. It only hurts you. I've had conversations these, these last, uh, really the last couple, three weeks with three different Christian brothers all of whom are in recovery in different ways for different reasons. And yet each of those conversations inevitably came back to this topic. 
and how important it was in their recovery and dealing with their addictions and how important it was to deal with the resentments that were in their lives and how those resentments and that lack of forgiveness had so negatively impacted them. You see, it's this, this isn't just a spiritual issue. It is a huge spiritual issue, but it has ramifications in all aspects of our lives, physically, emotionally, in our sexuality, in our in every, I mean, you name it, it affects us in the entirety of our beings. This issue. In my own life, a couple of years ago, when I went on sabbatical and I began to meet with a counselor, it was interesting how he went right here with me. And I thought I was someone who was quick to forgive. But as we worked through questions and he gave me a journal and I began to write down things, it was amazing how things began to pop up and come out of the dredges of my soul. Names that I never even thought about. Situations that I had just forgot. But yet they were landmines in my life that were hurting me because I never dealt with them. I had stuffed them and hidden them away. So instead of being at peace with God, I was a seething cauldron of anger and resentment. That's going to blow sooner or later. So friends, there's, there's, a, there's a, an effect it has on you. Your life is going to be affected. How's your life being affected this morning by not letting the gospel shine on that resentment or that bitterness or that grudge that you're holding? If you made a list, who would be on your list? I know for me, one of the biggest shocks was when I bumped number one and the name that was on that list, and I scratched that out. And I had to write God. I was resenting God. And I was holding grudges against God. That's messed up on one level, but it had to be dealt with. And I, in order for me to experience the restorative peace that could come through his forgiveness, who'd be on your list this morning if you made a list? Hopefully nobody, but if there is a name or two or three or more, know that this isn't going to go away. So at best, this petition's a warning to you. At worst, this petition says that very moral, religious, good-looking people who do not forgive grudges and hold on to their resentments are really nothing more than imposters. This is holding up a mirror and saying, if you hold on to resentments and you refuse to forgive, and you're that person that says, I will not forgive, I will never forget what they did, and you hold on to that grudge, and you hold on to that, that uh, offense, that, that husband, that spouse, that person, whatever that they did to you, it's calling into the question, are you an imposter? Because when you have had the merciful forgiveness of God poured out on your own heart. 
and you've experienced that in your life, you are compelled internally through that indwelling Holy Spirit to offer it to other people who need it too. When you are continually coming to God on that daily basis, dealing with your own sin, what you find happening in your life is that the magnitude of God's grace to you with your sin becomes so much larger that other people's sins against you become much, much smaller. And there is something within you that yearns to forgive, to reconcile, to make things right. Forgiveness is essential to how God identifies himself to us. It's why he sent Jesus to earth to take on human flesh and to climb onto that cross so that he could forgive us. Forgiveness, it's a family trait. Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the price of our sins that God, our Father, could forgive us. Without you satisfying the debt of our sin, there could be no forgiveness. This is the truth of the gospel. But because of the precious nature of your death and your burial and resurrection, every sin, past, future, and present ones, they are separated as far as east is from the west for everyone who calls upon your name. And Lord Jesus, help those of us who have called upon your name to continually come back to the cross, to bring our sins there, to acknowledge how we have failed to obey and to drink deeply at the grace that is there. Heavenly Father, thank you for being that gracious God who, who yearns to forgive. You delight in forgiving. You yearn to see our relationship be whole. Thank you for loving us that much. In the name of your son, Jesus, who is the embodiment of that love and that yearning, we pray. Amen.